Hey friends, Cable here, and this week's podcast is proudly brought to you by my friends over at Kent Cartridge. Uh, I've got a man, I've got a lot of history with this brand, going back to my college days when I was waiting tables just to fund my duck hunting addiction. That's when I first discovered Kent, and uh, I'd mess around with other brands, cheaper brands, and literally watch the pellets bounce off of greenheads. Uh, I found Kent, and I fell in love. And nothing's changed over the last 20 years except for, well, I'd say Fast Steel 2.0 is even better than the original. And Kent offers a premium shell at a sub-premium price. Check it out. It's Fast Steel 2.0. You can find it at your local retailer. Howdy, everybody. This week's podcast also brought to you by Spartan Forge. Born in war, Spartan Forge was conceived while targeting terrorists Think about that. Targeting bad guys during deployments in support of the global war on terror. We can also use this technology because of its similarities to track mature bucks. Now it's time to get this analysis into your hands. It's military-based intelligence, next-generation mapping. I absolutely love it. And I love the people behind Spartan Forge. They're like me. Second Amendment till the day we die. No exceptions. America first. Spartan Forge. Check it out by downloading the app today. But hey girl, don't you know The singer gets to check every rodeo Ain't gotta make the shore go At the beer garden, baby, yeah, I'm the show all right cable smith welcome everybody into episode 660 of sci's lone star outdoor show presented by mossberg firearms it's great to be here talking hunting fishing the great outdoors and all that implies Man, I'm still riding the high from my first ever Sonoran mule deer hunt. Went down to Old Mexico last week, and it did not disappoint. And uh, actually, my good buddy, whom I went with, Arturo Viegas, he's been to Africa with me a couple times, um, he'll join us on next week's show, and we'll dive into that hunt in great detail. It's, uh, It's one to put on your bucket list, the land of giants. The food, the culture, it was uh, it it was better than advertised. I'll just put it that way. So that's coming up next week. What are we doing today? We've got a good one. I'm excited about it. So you know what to do. Pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of that Black Rifle coffee out of Granddaddy's beat-up old Stanley Thermos because we are ready to rock and roll. And off the top, we're going to talk waterfowl biology, specifically duck hybrids with biologist and waterfowl expert Ben Pierce. Uh, This dude has been raising and breeding ducks basically his entire adult life, maybe even going back to his childhood. But he's obsessed with it, and if there is a hybrid out there, he can tell you what it is. So when I shot my gadwall mallard or also known as a brewer's duck. When I shot that a couple weeks ago, to like officially confirm what it was, 
someone told me to send it to Ben Pierce. So I did. Got an instant answer and then realized there's an entire world out there when it comes to why and how ducks interbreed. And geese too. Uh, so Ben will be here and we will get hot and heavy into uh, waterfowl DNA and sexuality. <laughs> sexuality. They can get pretty rapey, I'll tell you that. And, in, and Ben will even admit it. Uh, but more on that coming up in a little bit. Uh, then towards the bottom of the hour, our longtime friend John McAdams of the Big Game Hunting Podcast will be here. We had a listener ask for a discussion on the 300 win mag versus the 7 mag. So which one's better? I don't know. But uh, John, well more versed in ballistics and calibers than I am. Um, personally, I like them both. <laughs> I shoot each one of them a lot. Uh, but is one truly better than the other? Uh, we'll get into that with John McAdams coming up in just a bit. Let's uh, let's do this. How about a quick giveaway? And this one coming at you from Black Rifle Coffee. I've got a, uh, a Black Rifle Coffee Sasquatch t-shirt, a Black Rifle Coffee cap, and we'll throw in three bags of your favorite coffee. And you can mix and match them. So uh, any three bags of coffee off of the Black Rifle website. That's what's up for grabs today. Just email rifle, that's rifle, to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com. We'll get you entered. Uh, also, congrats to listener Mark Bone, who won the uh, Silencer Central $200 tax stamp a couple weeks ago. Uh, I know he is excited to order his suppressor, and thanks again to Silencer Central for that hookup, which Brandon Maddox, um, the founder and owner, even said, hey, we're happy to do some more of those tax stamp giveaways. So maybe next week, but definitely in the near future, some more $200 uh, tax stamps coming at you for free. Let's knock out a quick break. Up next, it looks like the Ducks aren't down with the Me Too movement. They're getting all kinds of rapey. We discuss it next on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. That's the difference. Between whiskey and you And one's a devil And one keeps driving me insane At times I wonder If you're looking for a thermal hog hunt near DFW, then 3 Curl Outfitters has you covered. Offering fully guided thermal hunts just minutes south of Dallas, guide scout daily to put you on the bacon. Using thermal imaging technology to hunt feeders, crop fields, and river bottoms, you get unlimited hogs and no kill fees. Visit www.3curl.com. Also offering corporate hunts and food and lodging available by request. Book at 3curl.com or call 214-455-0940. In the market for a compact track loader, check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at one of our nine North Texas locations. Visit BobcatOfNorthTexas.com or call 469-586-0000 today. And if you wonder where my heart is When I'm out on the road Lord, I tried at home I left it on 
wanted just for you to hold And if you wonder how I'm doing Know that I am doing fine But I wish I was in Virginia On the Russell County line Cable Smith, welcome everybody back into SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show Presented by Mossberg Firearms Thank you so much for being here as we are about to explore the kinky side, I guess, of the waterfowl kingdom. Uh, it's truly some odd ducks out there. <laughs> no pun intended. Uh, but before we do that, this segment of the show brought to you by SCI, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. The 2023 convention is going down February 22nd through the 25th in Nashville, Tennessee. I'll be there for the duration Hope to see you as well. For information on uh, event passes, just head over to safariclub.org. I'll see you there. All right, without further ado, let's bring on our first guest. Uh, joining us now from, I don't know, Washington, Idaho, somewhere up there, uh, waterfowl biologist and hybrid expert, Ben Pierce. Thanks for being here, man. Great to visit with you as well. So where are you joining us from? I am from Idaho. And what, what part of Idaho? Uh, southeast part of okay. Idaho. Uh, how, are you guys having a good a good season or is everything frozen up? Um, no, the season's closed here now. Um, you, can, oh. uh, you still can hunt on the west side of the state until the end of the month, I believe. But uh -huh. um, And then, uh, yeah, they uh, it wasn't that bad of a, a season. It was really cold. It pushed all the birds down. Um, there's quite a bit of geese flying around and stuff. Mm -hmm. so what is your uh, specialty as a biologist um <clears throat> i work with um waterfowl um and i also work with um uh horticulture as well with plant native plants to help okay. um to propagate like in landscape uh aviary type um pins and stuff like that and so what is it, uh, what is it about ducks that, that attracted you? Um, when I was oh, eight years old, I received a book by Frank S. Todd, um, that had every waterfowl species in it and subspecies from around the world. Mm. And, um, I, uh, memorized that book word for word, scientific names of each of the ducks and, um, every species. And, um, and then it kind of just pursued from there. I, um, there was a guy that was, didn't live too far from me that I found out he raised wood ducks and mandarins and eiders and all kinds of pheasants and stuff like that. And so when I was, um, 11, 12 years old, I had built an aviary and, and started raising birds. And then it just, I, uh, was fascinated in trying to get ducks like create um well an aviary like with local plants so that they can um feel comfortable enough to lay eggs in the cage like they were just in the wild yeah. and um and then i just started studying them um from there and then i pursued after um wanting to become a zoologist and uh and raising lots of birds and then I also help out. Now I help out the University of Washington on their hybrid study. So I raise ducks and I put um, certain species together, and uh, and I know which ones they are. So I put them in a pre a breeding program, 
And then the um, babies, um, I, I document everything that there is to document about that hybrid cross when it hatches or if it even can hatch, um, if the F1s are sterile or not. Um, so I keep track of all that data. Mm -hmm. And then um, also I cut, maybe you're supposed to cut off the right hind toe um, on your birds. And so I cut that off and I send it to Washington University because they're doing, currently doing a DNA study on hybrids, uh, mainly in the wild. But I do, um, I send them the toes of, and I know the parents of those hybrids. So I'm like the control of the project hmm. that they're working on. So they can refer back to that DNA um, control to when people donate blood samples or give um uh, or gift them a, um, a hybrid species but most people don't want to gift their high prized hybrid <laughs> i definitely don't mine's in the freezer right now waiting to go to the taxidermist so <laughs> well awesome yeah yeah which i you know I, probably in my early 20s like forums were like chat forums were a big thing like before social media you know mm -hmm. um and that's where I would, that's probably where I saw my first hybrid duck was somebody shot one. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. And then you, you realize, okay, that's, these ducks will breed between species. And I've seen thousands of ducks get killed. And I'd never until this season had seen a band. I don't even believe in bands. I think it's a bunch of hogwash. Like I, people say they shoot bands. I see the bands. I think they just buy them at the store or whatever. But uh, no, I'm just Even. kidding. But I. I've never seen, yeah, I've never seen one. And then I had never seen a hybrid. It's not true. I had seen a hybrid a couple of years ago. Uh, Chris Wilson, who's the one that introduced us, this duck landed in the spread and it looked like a ring neck to me. And I was like, you shoot it. I don't care. So he water swatted it. And it, the my dog, Bell, brought it back. And it was, I forget what it was, it was like a redhead scop cross or something. You told him what it was based off of like a DNA sample, I believe. Um, but I don't remember what it was, but it was, it wasn't, it didn't look like a ring neck. It was, it had like a reddish sheen to it. And yeah, I uh, think he, I think, I think I can remember that duck. I, I see a lot of them. So <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. So from a genetic standpoint, why, why did duck species tend to cross more in the wild than say like reptiles or even most mammal species? Yes, that is true that waterfowl, um, as a whole, um, they're the, the bird species that, um, they hybridize more than any other bird species out there. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's a lot more out there than you actually think there really is. Um, when you start looking for them, the best time to see them is not during hunting season. It's during the, um, uh, spring migration. And, um, when you just get out some binoculars and you go and look in those big, migrating flocks that are, my, that are headed back north. And you'll see a lot more of them there because um, a lot of the birds are in full color then and you can see the difference in between mm -hmm. the regular species and the hybrid. Um, why there is, why that is, is ducks are, <clears throat> everyone thinks that ducks, swans and geese and stuff mate for life. Um, swans more so, they will mate for life, but if one dies, he will, go and pair up with another one mm -hmm. if its mate dies um but geese and ducks they're they're opportunists the they're very fascinating because they are opportunists in all ways 
um, especially um, when it comes to breeding season. Um, there's a few species that are more dominant um, and have more, I guess you'd call them horny. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> right. And they, they'll breed. In, so it looks like they're paired up, but then once their hen sets their eggs, they will go any close hen that's nearby and they'll rape it. That is the most common way that we get hybrids is because you'll get an aggressive um, male that just wants to breed as much as he can. Mm-hmm. And then the other way, the other way is they do actually do pair up, but that is re- pretty rare in the wild. It, you see it more in the aviaries um, that, and then, um, so you, uh, that's, they just, that's pretty much how, it, how it's done. So I've, <laughs> I've been fishing at, uh, you know, a neighborhood pond here in North Texas before. And I've seen a group of like six greenheads trying to gang rape one hen. Yeah. I know they get aggressive and I've even read like sometimes they are so aggressive. They drown it and kill it. Yes. Uh, which I'm like, God, dude, this is kind of barbaric. So all of these hybrids are the like bastardized offspring of, uh, uh you know, a, a real rapey male duck at some point. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. And so which species are, are the biggest perpetrators? Well, obviously mallards are the most populous species we have in North America. So are they the biggest uh, perpetrator and or um, is, it, is it because of their population number or is there like, oh, well, you know, there's only two million widgeon, but by percentage wise, you know, they have an exorbitant amount of illegitimate offspring with other species. Um, yeah, um, there's this is where it gets kind of fun because it all depends on the individual. I've looked. So I sit and I study and the um, habits and habits. Mm-hmm. Of, of ducks and uh you could r- basically write a screenplay um of all their personalities um mm. and there's always a pet they're kind of like with chickens there's a pecking order so there'll be one mallard drake that's more aggressive than another one and so on and that's one that you know gets to breed with the female if the female so succumbs to him um so yeah to answer your question uh, mallards, um, uh, northern pintails, and uh, we have also found out that a lot of the pintail mallard hybrids that the male ma- uh, pintail is more more aggressive than a mallard. Mm. Um, and then, um, widgeons they uh, they're a pretty aggressive bird, also. Um, in the diver world, uh, redheads, redheads are probably the most con- um, aggressive uh, out of the um, Anthean species. And they're, be- they're, they're hybridizing with other divers predominantly? Yeah, yeah, the most common is lesroscop or canvasback. Um, okay. Uh, but you will see, because they're so aggressive, that they'll, uh, they'll breed with um, mallards and uh, oh many other species like that um in so the they wild. will crossbreed with puddle ducks okay yes they will they will be sterile though they're not fertile uh-huh. um and uh that's that's one thing about hybrids um that i try to teach people is we've gotten it down to dna monocular dna science now so that you know um and that's why uh, about 
10 years ago, they switched the, um, the genus genuses around it on some of the waterfowl because they found out that they were more closely related to other genuses than mm. the ones that they were in and uh usually that's what you can go by is the genus for example a mallard and a pintail are in the same genus um they're in aneas and um usually if they have the same genus they can hybridize and it'll be fertile huh. and then if they don't have the same there's a highly um a I don't, I can't speak for all the species, but from what our studies and what we've done, um, if you cross for a get, for example, American widgeon with a mallard, it will be that F1 generation. The next, the babies will all be sterile huh. or a gad or a gadwall is, uh, Marsa. And, uh, so if it breeds with a gadwall, like your famous quote, brewer's duck. Yeah. That's that, what I shot. When I sent you the yeah. picture, you told me that's a nice mallard gadwall hybrid. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And uh, those are sterile in the first generation, but oh. there's a lot of variations of that F1 um, hybrid. Um, and uh, I actually have a little poster. That so I define created. F1 for anyone that doesn't know what you mean. Okay. F1 is the first generation mm -hmm. after um, a male and a female breed. It's that for the um, first generation, the, right. the, okay. the babies from that, from those two birds. Okay, and so a mallard widgeon, a mallard gadwall, first generation sterile. Correct. Uh -huh. Okay. And then, uh, and wood ducks, like wood ducks, they are very um, popular in hybridization, hybridization, um, and they are um, the F one is sterile because of um, chromosome count. Huh. So fascinating. So what are, what is, what are the most common hybrid variations that you see? All right. The number one are all the ones, obviously that are in your mallard family. We call it mm -hmm. the mallard family. Uh, you're a, uh, so like mallards, black ducks, um, the two model ducks, the Mexican duck, and they are fertile. And that's why a lot of biologists fear that they're going to, over time uh, decimate the black duck population on the East coast is because oh. mallards are so dominant in, and their um, genetics are as well. Mm. Okay. So those are the most common. Uh, how common, I mean, if it, if it has a name like brewer's duck, you'd have to figure that hybrid is pretty common as well. Yes. There's, if you were to put like the top 10, for example, it'd be like the mallard black duck or any of the mallard family. And then you'd have your northern pintail mallard, um, which they are fertile. So you can find example in F2 where they either breed back to the mallard or the pintail species. Mm -hmm. And they will show more dominant, uh, their, their plumage will show more dominance of the one that they bred back to. Okay. So it'll look a lot more like a mallard or if they breed to a pintail, it'll look a lot more like a pintail. Which are really pretty that when they back cross to a pintail, they lose a lot of the orange on their chest. And then they have, it looks like a pintail with a uh, iridescent green head. Hmm. So they're really pretty. Um, and then next after that, probably have to be the American Widgeon Mallard. Um, and then I see a lot of wood duck hybrids. And they pretty much are like the mallard. They breed with anything and everything. <laughs> really? Okay. <laughs> um, and then uh, one one thing that, a lot of people um, 
get confused on is the mandarin duck and the wood duck are in the same genus, but mandarin duck has a totally different count of chromosomes. So if it tries to breed with any other species in the waterfowl world, um, they they don't even hatch. They because the um, their DNA, their chromosomes don't match in the oh. when they when they're in the um, not even uh, before it even forms a zygote. Interesting. So when uh, I mean, there's a I call mandarins cock blockers in my aviary because they will pair up with a wood duck hen and keep her away from my wood ducks. So I try to keep them away from each other so he doesn't do that. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Um, is it, okay, it's, it's, you said it's usually the drake that's the one that's responsible. So the hen's not out there just courting some other, you know, different breed. She's uh, fertile, ready to be bred, and then here's an opportunistic drake of X species that comes in. Um, yes. Um, mm -hmm. sometimes she can be paired up, uh, she can be paired up with one of her own species and here comes a, um, uh, aggressive pintail and he beats off the mallard drake, um, and, uh, and then breeds the hen, um, mm -hmm. or I've seen it where you've talked about, um, the rape, yeah. um, the, they'll just all get together and whatever duck gets her gets her, uh -huh. um, and then the other Who way ducks were so barbaric. <laughs> oh yeah. They're horrible. They even, it's crazy. Like I mentioned before, they're opportunists uh -huh. and they'll eat each other. Like if a duck dies, they'll yeah. start to eat the fat off around the tail. Huh. So if I have a duck die in my aviary and I'm at work and I get home, usually the bird will get, um, you can tell that you're like, what the heck's been chewing on this bird. And it is actually the ducks. Huh. And um, all all ducks are opportunists. They eat fish. They eat any any source of protein they can find. They'll try to eat it. Uh, I know a, a lot of people. They think that you know hooded mergansers. They just eat minnows, but they actually eat acorns and everything. Just like um, uh, all the other species will eat. They just in the wild. They usually are in their habitat where they're um, you know accompanied by uh, the highest amount of food that they can that they normally eat or yeah. they see well they don't taste good i'm not gonna lie uh no they don't <laughs> no. they just take it just tastes good in poppers <laughs> yeah they're not my favorite i've got a nice one on the wall and uh, and then i hadn't i probably hadn't shot a merganser in i don't know a, a long time year, seasons and seasons just because of the taste until i got an, uh, a new dog this season and Literally on one small lake I was hunting, we called it Lake Morganzer. And that's all it was literally just Morganzers everywhere. So I shot four in one day. I was like, well, here we go. Just to get the dog some work, you know. Yeah, that's a, awesome. I make dog make treats. Dog, dog. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, dog treats. Yeah. Exactly. High protein fishy dog treats. She loves them. Uh let's take a quick break. We'll come back and get into some of the least common hybrids that Ben has seen and uh, maybe talk some some goose hybridization as well. Are they as uh, big a sexual deviance as the duck community? I don't know. Ben will explain it. Uh, that segment brought to you by Big and J Whitetail Attractants and my good friends over at Rustic Reminders Taxidermy. If you do get lucky enough to uh, take that hybrid trophy on an upcoming hunt, 
you know where to take it. Rustic Reminders has been taking care of me for over a decade. You can find them at gr8mounts.com. We'll be right back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We live in crazy times when it comes to censorship on social media. And if you're a gun owner and a hunter, and if you're proud of those things and you post about those things, then you're already on the blacklist. You're getting censored. You might not even know it. Take it from me. I had my Instagram page deleted for an entire month for no reason last year. Mm Mm-hmm. Guess what? That kind of stuff doesn't happen over at Go Wild. It's a community of people who love to hunt, fish, and cook their wild game. I also love guns. If you want to be a part of that kind of place where you're not getting censored, where they actually promote posts with that kind of content, just go to download Go Wild. It's a free app. I absolutely love it. You'll see me there posting every day. So come on, join the conversation at Go Wild. I'm Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Let's face it, guys. We all would love to own land, right? But they're not making any more of it. However, there's a solution. Lone Star Ag Credit has been helping its borrowers Finance their own piece of paradise for over 100 years. Whether you want it for recreating, ranching, fishing, hunting, or just to get the hell out of Dodge for the weekend, visit Lone Star Ag Credit today to start making that dream a reality. Wish you were here. We could go anywhere and take the long, long way around. It all becomes clear. I don't belong anywhere With you I float ten feet off the ground There's little Jay Smith, ten feet off the ground, the name of that one. Cable Smith here with you. Thanks for dropping by SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg Firearms. We're still talking waterfowl biology, hybridization, all that good stuff with Ben Pierce. Uh, this segment of the show brought to you by Mossberg Firearms and the 940 Pro Waterfowl. It's what I've been using all season. Absolutely love it. Cycles beautifully. You don't have to clean the damn thing. That is the best part, right? Uh, truly, like 1,500 rounds before they even advise that you swab it one time. Pretty cool. I don't like to clean my guns. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't. But uh, it also comes in retail at under $1,000. It's their new semi-auto-loading platform, the 940 Pro Waterfowl. You can find it at mossberg.com. Okay, well, let's pick it back up with waterfowl biologist Ben Pierce. Continuing with the hybrid discussion, Ben, uh, we talked about some of the more common hybridizations and how this occurs in the wild. Uh, what is What would you say is the most rare hybrid that you've ever seen? Well, um, in the aviary world, I've seen some pretty rare, rare hybrids. Um, uh, but in the wild, that's where it gets fun. Um, I've posted quite a few, and people have asked me what certain ones like. Emperor goose hybrids 
are pretty pretty rare mm-hmm. um and i've seen two of those uh one with a snow goose and one with a pacific white front um diver the diver hybrids and then there are some wood duck hybrids in the wild that are kind of rare like the hood and cross with a wood duck that's one of the prettiest hybrids i think that's out oh, there wow um i've raised quite a few of them and have pictures of them on my hybrid page or in my uh albums where mm-hmm. people can go and look at pictures um and then uh if you the eider hybrids they're they're pretty rare um there are a lot of species that they people um when something hybridizes or um or it uh they uh when they when they breed they they should they show characteristics that looks very similar to a different species and so a lot of people get confused or they just look for one characteristic on the bird and think that that's what it's crossed with. Um, for example, like American Wigeon uh, Mallard, American mm-hmm. Wigeons can grow sprigs just just like a pintail. Um, and so a lot of people get that confused and think that it has a pin, um, pintail genetics in it. Um, oh, you know, the, so the first uh, pintail that I ever shot I shot a pair out at Lake Ray Roberts when I first started duck hunting on my own. Nobody taught me anything about it. I was just like, I'm going to, I, you know, I went with a buddy and I just fell in love with it because the dog loved it. And so I was like, all right, I'm in. And, you know, I think I was about 20 years old. So it was two decades ago. And I take this pair of pintails I shot and I, you know, I'm bartending and waiting tables to, uh, to make it through college. But I knew there was a local taxidermist in this, this small town in North Texas. And I, I go up there and take them these pintails and I tell him, I said, yes, yeah, sir. Uh, how much would it be to get this beautiful pair of pintails mounted? And he goes, well, I could mount those widgeon for you for like $300. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Oh, I was like, no, I really have my heart set on a pintail, you know? Uh, but I mean, that's awesome. they have a little sprig, but it, it was just, but that's the thing. Like it now it, it probably even, five or six years into really duck hunting hardcore, you can tell what everything is on the wing. You don't even, you don't even blink an eye. When yeah. you first start out, it's all trial and error, you know? Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. That famous yeah. quote of, uh, know what you shoot before you shoot it. <laughs> yes. Unless you, but, but how do you, here's a question. How does someone that's out there teaching themselves, this maybe a, a young kid listening right now, we don't want to discourage him from going duck hunting. So there's just, there's really no way to know what you shoot before you shoot it unless you go out and do it. Yep, exactly. And yeah. so, yeah, I, I'm kind of like, I don't know why people have to, I, I feel like it's a way you're putting them down when they're trying to mm-hmm. learn. Yeah, that's the only way to learn. You can look yep. at pictures all you want, but that doesn't tell you the sound that a certain duck makes or how they fly, you know, what their, what their, the underbelly looks like on the wing, you know, like, there's no yeah. way you can only learn that through actually being out there and, and seeing them do their thing. Yep. So. That's why, why I really encourage people to go out birding, mm-hmm. to go out in the off season with your binoculars and your camera and try to get pictures. Where I live, you'd be pretty limited to uh, mallards. And yeah. <laughs> there are, there are a bunch of, of blue wing teal that get hung up here in the spring and summer. You know, I don't think they ever make it back to, you know, that far north. Maybe they went all the way to South America. Um, but yeah, they're, those are about the only ones that you'll see around here 
that are still wild birds, you know? Oh, um, that's still cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, what, so what about species like, uh, the Canada goose? Will they hybridize? Oh yes. Yes. Um, uh, the majority of the hybrids that hybridize with cannabis, um, due to the fact that, oh, you can think a lot of, um, people that think they have to have pet geese and pet ducks, mm-hmm. the Easter duck is what You're one I of those them. people. Um, yeah, my, <laughs> but I don't, I, I raise wild, all the wild species. I don't have any of the, the domestic breeds of yeah. mallards or the, um, gray lag yeah. or the swan goose. You don't have any Muscovy ducks running around? No, those things are messy. And hideous. Yes, they are. Yeah. <laughs> Probably one of the most hideous ducks out there. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, but anyway, yeah, so people, you know, they, they go to the feed store and they see a cute little baby duck and then they uh, bring it home and they find out how messy it is. And then they just go and let it go either at the canal behind their house, the ditch, uh, the local park. and um, And then... You, um, more and more we get these geese you know the Canada geese that they they've just become local residents and they decide mm-hmm. not to migrate well they cross um, they uh, breed with those domestic geese and they are sterile um, so good they, they yeah that's good <laughs> and uh, whenever anyone shoots them, I'm like yay you, yeah. you just got them out of the population um but that's where it all starts. Um, even in a farmer's backyard who raises domestic geese, Canada geese will get mixed in and they, they'll breed each other. And, and you have some, I think some of them are pretty cool looking hybrids. Uh, but a lot of people don't like the word domestic involved yeah. in the hybrid. And, yeah. um, but the duck, the whole duck scenario, that's a whole nother topic with domestic ducks and, and mallards. <laughs> right. How people, how people think that they're all uh, that they call those hybrids, and it's kind of my one of my pet peeves is when they call a, a domestic duck a hybrid. <laughs> I just call them ugly. You know which yeah, one they are. Yeah, yeah, they're ugly. The bit that uh, one that we call a bibbed mallard. Um, the it's a mallard with a blue Swedish or black Swedish. Those ones are pretty. I think those are really pretty ducks, uh-huh. um, and quite a few of those get shot. And, so let me uh, ask you this: so you are hunting. And you shoot your, you've, you've shot your six ducks and here in the central flyway, you can only shoot one pintail currently, let's just say, and you already have a pintail and then you shoot a pintail mallard cross. What does the game warden say then? I'm sure people have have asked you these, these, this question before. Yes, there has been people asking that question. And to tell you the honest truth, that's up to your local game warden. <laughs> I think you they'd have to, have to have common sense and be like, yeah, I could see why you thought that was a mallard. You know, it looks like it's got yeah. a green head, but it's got a pintail, you know, back speculum or wing speculum or whatever. I think yep, common exactly. sense would have to prevail. Uh, yeah, you would think, but, you know, they can be they can be tough on you, too. So <laughs> you never yeah, know. Yeah. yeah. Um. I'm trying to think if there was so so you said you have a page where people can go look at all these different kind of uh hybrids from the wild but also the ones that you intentionally breed is is that on social media yes it's on facebook um it's called the hybrid club anyone's well welcome welcome to join and um if you want your if you've shot a hybrid you can pm me a picture and i'll post it up on on the club 
so people could see it. And I usually post up my um, your your name and your uh, what state you shot it in, and then I tell people what it is. And um, there's two or three other people. If I'm debating what it is, I send it to a couple other biologists, and we I only post it if we all agree on the same thing. Okay. So we, we've talked about a lot of the more common species. Um, I have seen images of a green winged teal bred with a mallard. Yeah. You think about a duck that is like a fourth the size of a big mallard. Is that a common thing? And you got to feel bad for, especially if they're getting gang raped. Here's just this little tiny little green winged teal hen. All these mallards trying to do their thing <laughs> with her. Yeah. You could almost make a comic strip out of it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that does happen. Um, and they are in the same genus. So hmm. they they can be feral. Wow. Uh, and um, but yeah, there's there's a couple like two other um, uh, species. So ruddy ducks cannot hybridize. They only can hybridize within their own genus. Huh. So like with white headed ducks, um, the Argentina ruddy duck um, and uh, and those are the, the, there's like, I think six, I can't remember off the top of my head right now, but mm. they have to stick all the stiff tails. They, they can only hybridize with stiff tail ducks. And then, um, law, uh, the whistling ducks, the whistling tree ducks, um, they only breed within their genus as well. So okay. you'll never see like a mallard cross with a black belly tree duck. Mm-hmm. But what, oh, so what about the, uh, the teal species that we have in North America, cinnamon teal, blue wing teal, green wing teal. Like, I think the blue wing teal is like a lot different if I'm, and you can correct me if I'm speaking up turn here, but uh, I didn't think that they were that closely related to the other two. They are uh, green wing teal or not. Um, they're actually, which that's kind of um, like when people say they've shot the teal trio. Um, I, I'm like, well, the green wing teal isn't anywhere close being related to the blue wing or green wing teal. I mean, blue wing and cinnamon teal. Okay. And um, they are related to northern shovelers. That's why their genius is called spatula. And mm-hmm. that is actually part of the, what we, um, what they did is they split that in, them into their own uh, family group back in 2009. This is the green wing with the shovelers or the, no, the blue wing? Sorry if I said that. It's the, the blue wing and then cinnamon teal are close really closely related to the northern shovel okay um and so they are fertile when they hybridize the babies mm-hmm. um and so you can get some sh- shovelers and and stuff that look you, you, it, they'll confuse you a little bit if you shoot one <laughs> right right so, will the other two uh, teal species hybridize with greenwig teal yes they can um like I've actually raised green. I have some pictures of them that I think they're a very gorgeous duck, a green wing tail cross with a cinnamon tail. Mm-hmm. Um, they have, they get the green, um, iridescence, like the green wing tail in the nape. And then the rest of the body is cinnamon color. So pretty. they're really pretty. Mm-hmm. So. Well, and that's the thing. I think, uh, I don't know about the hens. They, if they're, if it's a hybrid hen, they probably still, probably still pretty drab colored, but, most of the drakes you see from the from the duck realm, anyway, are always pretty striking. Yes, yep, they are. And actually, the hens, if they're sterile, they will um they will have a higher um um testosterone count because they're mm-hmm. sterile, and they will start growing over 
their life, they'll grow more male plumage. Hmm. Okay. And, uh, and so if it's a hybrid, like, and, um, I've raised quite a few, um, female hybrids that over time, they, they, um, start to look more like a male because they have a higher testosterone level because they're sterile. <clears throat> Fascinating. Well, this is the kind of stuff that, uh, you don't really think about until you're holding one in your hand. Like I, you know, like I was fascinated when I'd see the photos. But then when mm -hmm. it happened, I was like, oh, my God, the dog brings this thing back. And I'm like, goodness, this is the coolest duck I've ever shot. Certainly the most rare duck I've ever shot, you know. Yeah. Uh, and then I, I sent Chris a picture because of that hunt uh, um, where he water swatted that hybrid and then sent you the picture. And so he was like, you got to send it to Ben. And I was like, OK, cool. So I sent it to <laughs> you and you're like, yeah, definitely a brewer's duck. Um, and I can't wait to get that thing to the taxidermist and, and eventually on the wall. So that'll be awesome. It's an interesting world, though. I didn't know there was this much knowledge uh, on on the topic of uh, of hybridized waterfowl species. So. Yeah, I, I ever since when I was twelve and I studied that Frank S. Todd book, Waterfowl Identification. If you guys want to look it up on Amazon, um, it's not that expensive. You can find used copies of it for eight nine dollars. Hmm. Uh, and uh, there's been a little bit of taxonomy changes since it was printed but um other than that it's it's an awesome book and when i was 12 i was wondering oh what would it be like if a mandarin and a wood duck hybridized but then come to find out later in life that they can't um yeah. so but it is very it's fun when when uh you're successful at breeding them and seeing what they will look like and then after that you see then all of a sudden someone shoots one and you're like, holy cow, I know exactly what that is. Uh -huh. I raised it. Yeah. And um, so it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, it's a fun hobby and a fun, fun thing to be helping out with the university. So. Yeah. And so do you have an Instagram page as well? I do. Um, I believe my name's hybrid duck 19. All right. And um, I uh, try to post a picture there. Um, I've been wanting to do videos with, um, now that I have a smartphone, uh, do videos and post them on, I do have a YouTube channel as well, mm -hmm. um, where I have a few, uh, um, maybe about 10 videos that I've posted on there of my aviary. And, um, I think, um, the more I get used to doing stuff on my phone, I will actually, um, start doing videos of hybrids, explaining them, you know, like, but showing people what they look like and okay. in right a on. video so what is the uh I, we we raised well we just you know we just had like egg laying chickens when i was a kid and yeah. and we also had a few pet ducks just for fun you know we were those ones that i'm sure eventually just let the duck go in the no actually raccoons killed them all uh, oh no yeah so but we didn't have an aviary so what is what predator is the one that you have to uh, struggle with the most trying to keep it out of your, your aviaries? Um, so when I, um, when you build an aviary, I, over the last, I don't know how many years, 30 years, you learn a lot about predators. Mm -hmm. um, so the ones that I have most problems with mainly in the spring when I'm laying eggs are uh, raccoons, skunks, um, every once in a while, a, a, a mink, um, and then, uh, the neighborhood cats, <laughs> um, but I have a hot wire. So I have 
um, chicken wire underneath the ground. So if anyone, anything tries to, to dig up to get into the cage, they hit that um, webbed wire. Oh. And then I have a three foot tin all around my entire, all my aviaries and a hot wire right at the top of the tin. And uh, so when raccoons go to climb up, they hit that hot wire and it shocks the heck out of them and they, <laughs> they leave. They put their, I've seen one do it before on my, one of my, um, my cameras. And it was pretty cool because <laughs> he had his front paws on the tin and he was standing in a pool of water and he hit that hot wire with his, with his nose. And, um, it looked like a cartoon, like a Looney tune getting shocked by an electric fence. <laughs> But anyway, yeah, so those are like um, skunks are probably the most common that try to get in in the spring. Um, but every once in a while, I do deal, deal with the raccoons and great horned owls. And try. I have netting over the top of my aviaries due to the fact that great horned owls like to try to take the heads off of my birds. Yeah. And um, they uh, so when you're laying in bed and all of a sudden you hear, hear a hooter owl out there, you're like, oh, no. So. You go out and scare the, the owl off with a spotlight. <laughs> mm-hmm. So you've got it down now. Well, right on. Yep. Cool stuff. I certainly appreciate it, Ben. And uh, oh, you're welcome. Yeah, enjoyed the conversation. Very interesting. So yep, thanks for your time. Wants, if anyone wants to message me and ask about hybrids, I, I love to help out. So right on, brother. We'll take care. We appreciate it. Okay, you too. We'll talk to you later. So there he goes, the hybrid expert himself. Ben Pierce, uh, I, I tell you what, I didn't realize that these uh, little feathered things that we chase for three months every year were so barbaric. I mean, that's Viking-type stuff. Just see a fair maiden and say, oh, I'm going to have my way with you. I mean, <laughs> ducks, really? Yeah. That segment of the show brought to you by Stealth Cam and the DS4K cellular camera. You're not going to find a higher quality image sent to your cell phone. You can monitor everything remotely. That's the beauty of it, right? And uh, you can find the DS4K cellular camera, the best of the best, right there at stealthcam.com. Up next, our old friend John McAdams joins us as we compare two legendary hunting calibers. It's the 300 Win Mag versus the 7 Mag right here on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Some say a silenced gunshot is the baddest sound out there. At Silencer Central, we have another favorite. It's the sound of silence delivered to your front door. When you buy from Silencer Central, we handle your application, set you up with a free NFA gun trust, and deliver your silencer straight to you. With an average 90-day turnaround time when you use eForms, buying a silencer is simpler than ever. Visit silencercentral.com and we'll help you get started. Did you know that Orvis has been family-owned since its inception in 1856? Think about that. Uh, They also donate 5% back to protecting nature 
Orvis and his customers have raised and donated more than $20 million to protecting nature over the past 25 years. They continue to grow a community of outdoorsmen and women with classes focused on everything from fly fishing to wing shooting and hunting dog handling from basics all the way to advanced. And don't forget about their unique fly fishing and wing shooting trips all over the world. Orvis, proudly American-made fly fishing gear since 1856. It's that time of the year where you might want to try to kick off a new year with a fitness journey. Cryo and More has all your holistic healing needs with cold therapy, heat therapy, and pressure therapy, which shortcuts the time you have to spend recovering from your workout or minimize the muscle soreness you feel from physical activity. Cryo Skin is a body hack that speeds up the death cycle of the fat cells using non-invasive technology that uses heat and cold to eliminate fat cells. Your greatest wealth is your health. Visit cryoandmore.com or head over to the location off Virginia Parkway. You say like the wind blowing through your hair. Well, come on, go with me till the sun goes down. Texas sun. Texas Sun, Texas little Leon Sun. Bridges bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Cable Smith here with you as always. Thanks for dropping by today as uh, we're about to compare the pros and cons of two classic long-range hunting rifles. Two of my favorites, by the way. The 300 Win Mag versus the 7mm Remington Magnum, or 7 Mag, as we all uh, affectionately call it. Uh, John McAdams of the Big Game Hunting Podcast will jump on to dive into that topic. But before we do so, this segment proudly brought to you by Black Rifle Coffee, America's Coffee Company. Here's the cool thing. Uh, whether you are looking for your favorite light, medium, or dark roast, K-Cups, you name it, or just some of their unapologetically patriotic swag, I've got a 20% off promo code just to use Lone Star 20 when you check out at BlackRifleCoffee.com. And with that being said, let's bring him on right now. Uh, a good friend of the program making his return, John McAdams of the Big Game Hunting Podcast. Cable, it is always a pleasure to join you on the show as well. Absolutely. So did you have a, a good hunting season? I did. I, uh, Among other things, I went to Colorado and I shot a pronghorn up there and a bison. And that was a nice. fun hunt. Yeah, And then I, as we're recording this, I literally just got back a couple days ago from hunting Sandhill Crane out in uh, Abilene. Nice. I, yeah, I did a, I did a crane hunt in November and those things make a big thud when they hit the ground. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Fun. <laughs> <laughs> and delicious too. Mm -hmm. uh, so, but about the bison. So is that like a, a private land hunt? Yeah. So Colorado, the only bison that you can hunt there, it's all on, yeah, yeah, it's all on private land, that uh -huh. sort of thing. It's not like um, Arizona or Utah or something where the, the tags are super hard to get. Mm -hmm. And what is the price tag on a bison these days, ballpark? You know, it's I think it all depends. It is, right? So I, yeah. I like physically got over 200 pounds of cut and wrapped meat out of that bison. And I have a, a chest freezer in my garage, and that thing was literally full to the brim. Uh, and that was after I gave a bunch of it away. <laughs> right. Um, I want to say, uh, a bison will start out around four or $5,000, at uh -huh. least kind of up there. I don't know what they are other places. And that's for a cow or a, an immature bull. And then, you know, could easily double from that for a really big bull. Okay. 
And I, I shot, I shot a, a, a quote unquote management bison. So it was about uh, half as big as a really, really big bull. Well, you know, I'm just thinking about the price of meat, uh, you know, of beef specifically in Biden's America. And it's, you might not have got a bad deal there. <laughs> well, let me, let me, let me uh, run those numbers here. You, you might, you might be onto something. <laughs> uh, I mean, goodness great. I was, I was uh, at the store yesterday. I was making, um, moose uh smash burgers from you were talking about meeting up with the guys from our luck i think i shot that moose with them in 2018 maybe it was mm -hmm. yeah, i think it was 2018 still eating it i had to buy a whole nother freezer for the damn thing and that, <laughs> you know that's a good thing uh -huh. uh, but yeah so i was making these smash burgers so i went to go get some hamburger buns it was like four dollars for hamburger buns oh geez thanks joe yeah yeah, uh, yeah my bison worked out uh, uh about 22 dollars a pound for for meat okay yeah, well, that's a little more than than Biden's America, but it's uh depends on the cut, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, it's good, man. I've been I've been eating that stuff like crazy since October on that hunt, and uh, oh, that yeah. was uh that, that was a fun hunt, and you know, gosh, and the meat is so good, and I got so much of it. So that was that's that's it's been a really good year for me. And how many points did you have to use for your pronghorn hunt? Uh, I actually got it. It was, it was a private land pronghorn hunt, okay. hunt. So I drew it with zero points. I drew it as a second choice. So I actually built points in Colorado this year. Mm, nice. Yeah. Can't beat that. I burned five Wyoming points for my uh, archery elk hunt, uh, buddy and I. I think if you had a, if you averaged three and a half between your party, you were pretty much guaranteed to draw. So, but now I got to start over in Wyoming. That is how I feel about Arizona. I burned eight points in Arizona this year for a late late rifle elk hunt and i had a great hunt out there but didn't come home with an elk and now i gotta start over <laughs> oh yeah well so um i had a, a listener ask me to do a a show on the 300 wind mag versus the seven mag and i said you know well i know the guy to call and we'll uh we'll sit down with john and we'll we'll hash it out so the 300 wind mag though is the most popular big game caliber in north america and it, and for a reason it, it was released in i think 63 uh, it's been embraced by hunters and military snipers alike. Um, some of the obvious pros that I see is just the wide array of bullet options, anything from a 150 up to, you know, well, well over 200. I think maybe 220 is the max. I think 180 is probably the most popular. I mean, that's mm -hmm. usually what I'm shooting. Um, if I was to go like on my moose hunt, I went with the 200 grain, just a little bigger. But, um, you know, it's a flat shooting gun. What are some of the other pros to the uh, the 300 Win Mag? So the 300 Win Mag, well, I'll show you show you the cases of them here. As you can see, let's see how well, how well can you see that? No, I can you see. Know, it. Yeah. Yep. So this this one is the 300 Win Mag. The other is the seven millimeter. As you can see, their overall length is almost identical, uh, but uh -huh. the the 300 is a tiny bit longer and it has a tiny bit. A bigger case and so it has more case capacity like like five percent more case capacity and it's also loaded to a higher pressure 64,000 mm -hmm. versus 61,000 for the seven mag and so it it is a, just a little bit more powerful cartridge you know but by, by those respects it'll shoot the same weight bullet a little bit faster depends on the load like 50 100 feet per second faster and like you said it can shoot heavier bullets you know, like you said, 180 is, is the most popular, but you can get 200, 212, things like that, uh, mm -hmm. that are even bigger, larger diameter. And so it's got about, uh, I think it's about 18% more frontal surface area than the seven millimeter rim mag. And so you, you know, shoot it through there and say, 
both both bullets expand to twice their diameter. Well, you know the uh, the the 300 wind mag is going to make just a bigger hole and you know cause more damage. You know that way going through the uh, through the body uh, compared to the seven millimeter bullet. And you know that's that's like the that's the big things right there mm-hmm. with it. Okay. Um, what about and you know what I when I was looking a little bit of, you know just a little history up on these two calibers, which to be honest with you are probably the two that I shoot the most. I love each of them. Um, I didn't realize that the seven mag was actually older just by a year, mm-hmm. but it, it's, it's, it was released before the 300 wind mag. Yeah. So you know, Winchester rolled out all their, um, Winchester Magnum cartridges in the 1950s and early sixties. You had the two, six, four wind mag, the four, five, eight wind mag, the three, three, eight wind mag, and those all did real well. And then in 1962, Remington released the seven millimeter Remington Magnum and the Model 700 rifle the same year, and that thing mm-hmm. just exploded in popularity. Both of them together, and uh, you know, it was that was a super popular round almost from the get go. You know, you compare it to something like a 270 or 30-06, and it's a big jump up going from those to the seven mil- some seven millimeter Remington Magnum. And I'll show you here. You, know, you compare the seven mag to a 30-06 cartridge. Same length, but you can see how the um, the seven mag is a fatter case. You know, it's mm-hmm. based off the the three seven five H and H, and so you can hold more powder in there, but have it still fit in a standard linked action that would fit a thirty out six or a two seventy, and so it can push um, bullets quite a bit faster than than the thirty out six. It's flatter shooting. It has more uh, kinetic energy, et cetera, et cetera, than that cartridge. And guys just loved it from the get go. You know, if you were going to shoot a mule deer or something like that at, you know, a couple hundred yards, you know, a little bit more resistance to wind drift, that flatter trajectory, especially in the days before laser range finders and adjustable Mm -hmm. turrets, you know, man, the seven mag was just awesome for that stuff. And then, um, it's, it had some issues kind of at the beginning on really big game, like elk just because it was shooting bullets so fast that the bullets at the time, for the most part, in many cases, just weren't up to the stresses of, of those higher velocity impacts. And they ended up so fixing a lot of the bullets would fragment or not, not, not get enough penetration. Yep. That's exactly right. You know, okay. so say you shoot like 140 grain bullet out of a seven millimeter mag, and it's going to be going 3,100 feet per second, something like that mm-hmm. out of the muzzle. A lot of those bullets are designed for use on deer and especially at the time, those bullets were designed for, say, seven millimeter Mauser uh, impact velocities, which was you know a couple hundred feet per second slower. And so they were designed okay. for that. And then you're shooting them so much faster, they'd expand really rapidly. Sometimes they'd pancake on impact. Sometimes they would just completely come apart. And you shoot an elk in the shoulder or something like that under the right conditions, say at like 150 yards or something, you could get just a nasty flesh wound, but might not get into the body. Mm. Um, you use a heavier weight bullet or a tougher bullet, or you say you shoot that same bullet at 350 yards instead of 150 yards, the situation is a little bit different. And so it got kind of a bad reputation at the beginning, but then they started making better uh, factory loads for it, better suited to that stuff. People learned how to use it better and it became an incredibly effective cartridge on elk. And then Winchester saw how popular the Remington load was, and then they released the 300 Win Mag that next year, really to kind of fill that uh, that gap in in their lineup. Okay, and so they're competing against each other. Obviously, there, um, they're they're both from the same origin, though, which is the 375 H and H. Necked them down, and then shortened it a little bit. So I'll show you. So the seven, uh, this is a 300 Win Mag versus a 375. You see how much longer that 375 cartridge is. 
Yeah. Um, the last time so I saw were, one of those, I was shooting it into a buffalo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it was so a this, 375 Ruger, but very similar. So this is what I shot my bison with this year. Uh -huh. It was a 375 H&H. Uh, but so that requires a longer magnum length action. And so you shorten it uh, to be 3.34 um, inches long overall, and it'll fit in the same length rifle that I keep talking about, that 30-06 length, standard length action. And then, yeah, you eliminate some of the taper in the case, neck it down, shorten it, and then you got a, a bunch of the magnum cartridges kind of filled that. All, you know, the 264, 338, 458 Win Mag, 300 Win Mag, the 7 millimeter Remington Magnum, all of them are basically a 375 case, neck down and shortened. Mm -hmm. Well, so both of these calibers, though, excel at distance. And mm -hmm. if you were to go to a competitive long range match, I know the 6.5 Creedmoor has really crept into that scene as well, uh, but traditionally it would be the 300 Win Mag, 7 Mag, and 308. It depends on the kind of the match that you're talking about. You know, um, gosh, I think it was back in the 1920s, a guy named Ben Comfort won the Wimbledon Cup using a 300 H&H &H Magnum, which is a 3.75 H&H, &H, just neck down to 30 caliber. And it basically gives you what the, uh, the 300 Win Mag was, but just in a little bit longer package. And so, yeah, you know, they're all real flat shooting cartridges compared to what they had at the time. There's stuff that's flatter shooting than them now. And, you know, that extra velocity also kind of helps with the wind. And so, yeah, you know, you, you want to reach out there a little bit. That helps with that. And if, you know, you're trying to hunt at that range too, you're just going to have more retained energy at, at a given range than something like a 30-06. Okay, John, well, let's do this. Let's take a quick break. I want to come back and get into the recoil side of things because, you know, when you're talking about pros and cons of these two calibers uh, that might sway someone's opinion one way or the other. We'll do that next. That segment brought to you by All Seasons Feeders. Check out the 600-pound stand and fill if you haven't already. Yeah, whitetail season is coming on, but guess what? There's plenty of hogs to hunt, and uh, the good thing about the stand and fill, hogs can't knock it over. They just they can't. I've, I've let them try for years. They, don't, they can't even move it. Um, perfectly designed, and you just stand there and fill it up. No ladder, no backing your truck up. It's the 600-pound stand and fill. Also comes in a 300-pound or I think even a 1,000-pound variety. You can find it at allseasonsfeeders.com. We'll be right back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. I wasn't born of yesterday. Got a good Christian raising land, a great education. Ain't no needing y'all treating me this way. It's time to tell you about Protect products. Veteran-owned and made in the USA, Protect makes your water work harder for you in the field. They have a hydration electrolyte formula for endurance and replenishment. It's perfect for elk hunting, right? Uh, energy formula for when you need an extra kick. Immunity for optimizing the immune system. And one of my favorites, the rest formula to ensure deep sleep and proper recovery. All the formulas are liquid, so they mix instantly in your water bottle or camelback. And the cool thing is, they don't gunk them up like a powder with that messy residue. They also have an easy-to-use line of mineral sunscreen for quick and odorless application and all-day protection in the field. For more info, head over to protect.com to see their entire lineup. That's protect, P-R-O-T-E-K-T.com. Cable here, and if you're like me, you probably enjoy bold flavors and cuisines. And nobody does Cajun and Creole better than Chris's Specialty Foods in Frisco. 
Their forte includes specialty sausages, boudins, and andouille, pre-cooked soups, gumbos, and sides, where all you have to do is heat it up. What about high-quality steaks, smoked and fried turkeys, turduckins, and turduckin rolls for the holidays, plus gift boxes. Storefront conveniently located off Dallas Parkway in Frisco, or shop online at chrisspecialtyfoods.com and have it delivered to your door. Cable Smith, welcoming everybody back into SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg. Thanks for being here. We are still comparing two of North America's most iconic hunting calibers, and we will resume that conversation momentarily. This segment, though, is proudly brought to you by Numa Gear for the Outdoors. Let me tell you something about Sonora, Mexico. It's the desert, and it is cold, cold, cold in the mornings, and up into like the upper 80s this time of year in the middle of the day. Then it gets cold again in the evening, so... You're definitely layering up, layering down. One thing, though, that was consistent for me was the Pathfinder pant. Brush-resistant, everything down there can cut you, poke you, scratch you. Uh, luckily, the, the things that bite you are all, I guess they're hibernating or they're too cold to come out. Uh, but the Pathfinder pant is resistant to those types of things. I'm not saying a rattlesnake, but <laughs> the pokey things anyway. And anyway, the Pathfinder pant is also comfortable in the most important crotch area because you hate those restrictive pants. But this one, no. It's sleek, but still comfortable. It's stylish enough to wear it to the bar. I don't know if you're going to the bar after the hunt. Maybe you are. Uh, but I wore it to, uh, to church the other day. Yeah. So you can get away with that, too. It's pretty much fit for all occasions. You can find it. Oh, and get this. Also, uh, Numa guarantees all their gear for life. So uh, lifetime warranty. You can find it, the Pathfinder, as well as their entire lineup at Numa outdoors.com. Okay. Uh, well, John, let's get back into our conversation comparing the 300 win mag versus the seven mag. If we, if we said, is one better than the other? You obviously talked about, I mean, the 300 win mag, larger grain bullets, it's going to have a little more knockdown power for that mm -hmm. reason. It's also, and I, I, maybe the recoil is, is negligible and maybe it's just the, specific to each rifle, but I certainly feel my 300 win mag thumps a little bit harder than the seven mag that is the big difference there and so i will not say that one of them is quote unquote better just across the board mm -hmm. but one of them may be better for you or this other person or for this different situation um you take um comparable loads in each one and you shoot them in the same weight rifle the 300 win mag is going to have like 20 25 more recoil so i mean it's mm -hmm. it's a you know it, it, it's a it, it's a good move up and recoil from the seven mag which is itself uh, you know, have have more recoil than a lot of other cartridges because you know it's a, a magnum cartridge, and so yeah, you know you put it in the same weight rifle, it's going to recoil a lot more. It is at or maybe over or it's near the top or maybe over what some people can tolerate. Mm -hmm. Once again, it all kind of depends on the person, the weight of the rifle, all of that stuff, right? A heavy rifle is going to recoil less than a lighter rifle. You put a muzzle brake on it, a suppressor on it, that sort of thing. You know that will tame it to a certain extent. But for I this reason, I don't see reason, a lot of women, and like even the lady that cuts my hair, she hunts and she's like, yeah, she she loves the two forty three, 
Like mm-hmm. that's the same thing my 10 year old son uses. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't see like that gun for people that maybe say 130 pound human being. Uh, that's a lot. It is. And the seven mag may still be too much for some people, but there's going to be more people that can handle it than the 300 win mag. And so that's yeah. a case where people that just don't like dealing with, with recoil, but they want that Magnum quote unquote Magnum performance. The seven mag is really good for them. And I was you know reading through the comments on my article that I wrote about this a long time ago, uh, just to kind of refresh my memory on what some people were saying about it. And like almost everybody that commented on it, that, had hunted with both of them extensively and shot both of them. Like you, exactly like you said, they're like, Oh yeah. You know, the seven mag is definitely a lot easier on my shoulder than the 300 wind mag. Mm-hmm. And it's still effective enough. And it's darn effective on, on a lot of game that a lot of people just kind of tend to slide that way, uh, towards it. I don't know that there's any game out there that moving up to the 300 wind mag, you, you can hunt that game that you couldn't ethically hunt it with the seven millimeter rim mag you know there it, it is more pop, popular and or excuse me more powerful but it's not like moving up to the 375 h and h where it puts you in a whole different category of, of power and you can hunt you know like a buffalo or something with it that you really couldn't with ethically with the seven mag yeah yeah uh well and my son uh henry he was i think he would have been eight almost nine at the time um I, he was shooting his new 243 getting ready for for the 2021 deer season. Mm-hmm. And he was like, Oh, cool. I want to shoot the one with the thermal on it. I was like, okay, well that's on the six, five Creedmoor, the gun everyone one makes fun of, but I, mm-hmm. I like to shoot pigs and coyotes with it. Um, so he shot that and he was like, cool. I like the thermal scope. It, he was like, it definitely kicked a little bit. These are all suppressed. Keep in mind. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, and then I gave him the seven mag suppressed and he shot that and was like, Nope, Nope, not, not interested in that one and done there. <laughs> but you think about, um, but he weighs 65 pounds. And you think about though, the beauty of suppressors is you can cut that recoil in half on both of these calibers. Mm-hmm. So I guess, you know, uh, if you considering that, and I think one of the a guy brought his uh, wife to Africa with us the last trip I went, and I think she shot his 300 wind mag suppressed um, and was able to handle it. But then, mm-hmm. you know, you're talking about really mitigating that recoil when you put a suppressor on there. You know, so my 300 wind mag, all loaded up, ready to go with the scope, full magazine, a bipod, all that stuff on it. I want to say it's like 11 and a half pounds. So it's mm-hmm. not a light rifle. You know, it's it's light enough where I can get around with it and everything. And shooting that, it is an absolute pussycat to shoot. Mm-hmm. I have no problems with recoil at all on it. But you reduce that thing, that weight by two, three, four pounds, something like that, to put it in a lighter weight rifle that you may want to take like on a mountain hunt or something like that, that that recoil is going to go up a lot. Yeah. Whereas you, because the 7 mag does recoil less than the 300 wind mag, you can use it in a lighter rifle and have either the same or potentially even still a less recoil than the 300 wind mag with a heavier rifle. Mm-hmm. What do you see long-term? Because like I told you, I mean, I have so many favorite calibers. I, 6.5 Creedmoor is not one of them, but uh, I love my 270. We've talked about the 270 on this show before. Um, I love the 7 mag. I love the 300 wind mag. I enjoy shooting my son's 243 when we're like, oh, look, there's some pigs. I don't grab my my 300 wind mag. I grab mm-hmm. his 243 if both of them are in the truck, which usually they are when we're rolling around the ranch. And uh, so I have, I have a lot of favorites. Um, do you foresee with the increased popularity of of these new PRC calibers 
um, 6.5 PRC, 300 PRC. Do you think that will displace either one of these in popularity? Man, it's it's really hard to say. Um, I heard actually from the SHOT Show today that Browning is introducing a fast twist 270 rifle that can use some of those really uh, high BC 270 bullets that they've introduced, mm -hmm. like for the 6.8 Western, the 27 Nosler, that sort of thing. And so you... I kind of wonder if maybe in the next few years we can see some things like that where with both of these cartridges where you introduce, you know, some, you know, have a standard twist on it that's a little bit, you know, uh, faster than normal for both of these and then use, say, like a 175 grain ELDX out of the 7 rim mag or something where, whereas now you can do that, but you would need a, you know, a custom build or something like that to do it. Um I don't see the 300 Win Mag going anywhere, though, and really even the 7 Mag because they're both so darn popular. I mm -hmm. think you're right that the 300 Win Mag is the more popular of the two, but, man, there's still the 7 Mag is such a a, a very common uh, cartridge that I don't know that's going to go anywhere, but it may start get to get displaced by the potentially by the 7 PRC because mm -hmm. that cartridge will fit in a standard linked action with a magnum bolt face exactly like a 7-millimeter rim mag, but it's loaded to a higher pressure. And it has a chamber geometry that's a little bit better suited to more accuracy. It is um, oh, has a fast twist rifling uh, barrel, so you can uh, you know use those really high BC bullets on it. It actually has even more case capacity because the way it's designed, that sort of thing. And so it 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 has all of the advantages of the seven millimeter rim mag, with a couple of other advantages where it may be kind of lacking in certain areas. I don't know. In twenty years, I'll bet they'll it'll probably still be out here. But you know, I, mm -hmm. I wouldn't necessarily be shocked if the seven mag is less popular then than it is now. Yeah, the the three hundred so mag many is a little options bit... too. They keep coming out with a new a new caliber. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, which is great. You know, um, I, there's nothing wrong with that. I want to have the most accurate, deadly rifle mm -hmm. bullet combination that I can. Right? We all should want that. Um, but yeah, you see all the new uh, PRCs and the you know 28 nozzler is another one that's uh, mm -hmm. i don't have one but i've shot a buddy's I, that gun was very i was very impressed with that um yeah real real high octane fire breathing magnum i actually hunted elk with a 27 nozzler this year which is the same as the 28 nozzler just uh 277 instead of 284 caliber hmm. it's a great cartridge um but you know it's more of kind of a niche deal than the the seven millimeter remington magnum or the 300 wind mag mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um well, i think I think we'll we're almost out of time, so this will have to be a conversation for another day. But I do want to have you back on in the near future and talk about solid bullets versus ballistic tips for hunting purposes. Mm -hmm. uh, there's pros and cons to both of those, and that's been that one's been on my mind as well. So, um, I guess as we wrap things up here, I'm going to keep shooting both of these calibers because mm -hmm. I'd say the seven mag was my first love, but then I kind of started to cheat on it with the 300 win mag. <laughs> <laughs> And I, and people are like, um, I'll shoot a deer in Texas. They're like, why are you? What, what caliber was that? I'll be like, it's three hundred wind mag. They're like, why are you killing deer with a three hundred wind mag? And I'm like, because I I like the the deer really dead. <laughs> I've never. Had I, one I kind of feel anywhere. the same way. My three hundred wind mag is just kind of fun to shoot. You know, and it, it, it's yeah. it's real satisfying to shoot things with it. I, I've never had a white tail deer go anywhere when shot in the shoulder with the three hundred wind mag. So. Mm -hmm. And I'll just say one last thing about the seven rim mag before we leave that I, I think I kind of glossed over earlier. Seven millimeter, that bore diameter is in kind of a sweet spot where you can get more high BC bullets 
in that uh, bore diameter that aren't excessively heavy mm-hmm. and they're not going to and for that reason you're going to probably have a little bit less recoil but still have the benefits of all that those high bc bullets and so like you compare like 168 grain nosler acubon long range in seven millimeter it's going to have a bc of a g1 bc of 0.631 whereas 190 grain nosler acubon long range and 30 caliber has a bc of 0.597 mm-hmm. so it's quite a bit heavier and it's going to recoil more but it's still you know, is, is falling quite a bit short of that seven millimeter uh, bullet there. And so you, you kind of see that across the board with those bullet weights and those uh, cartridge diameters. So, you know, that's kind of one of those deals where a lot of people uh, really like seven millimeter for that, for that reason. And it's, and it's a valid reason. So just kind of keep that in mm-hmm. mind. I don't want it to come off like I'm trashing the seven millimeter rim mag, even though I do personally prefer the 300 wind mag, but they're both great. And the differences between them, I mean, really, for what a lot of people are doing, is small enough that it probably doesn't make that much of a difference. You, know, you use a good bullet and you put it where it's supposed to go. They're both going to kill the heck out of deer, elk, moose, things like that. And you know, I think it really just kind of comes down to personal preference and and kind of fitting what is best for you and what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Well, and I guess the last thing to say is that um, there are a lot of options, you know, bullet wise for each caliber. And you you go to the store and even during the ammo shortage that we've experienced over the last couple of years, we're kind of starting to come out of it now. Uh, but you could always find at least a box of, of 300 or, or, uh, you know, seven millimeter, um, seven mag, the old seven mag. So now I see you can also find six, five Creedmoor though, pretty much everywhere you go. So mm-hmm. those seem to be the three that I was on 308, I guess you, you didn't really have a problem finding that. But that was one nice thing about you know COVID was the calibers that I like to hunt with primarily. I, I could always find ammunition for them. Yeah, I was definitely glad that I was more using uh, a lot of the mainstream cartridges like that time, like those when when this uh, this mess hit because yeah, it was it was harder to find them, but it wasn't mm-hmm. nearly as hard as if I was using something a little bit more obscure. Yeah. yeah. Well, hey John, if you want to give us. Um, your website where folks can read your content or tune into your podcast? Yeah, sure thing. So my show is the Big Game Hunting Podcast. Uh, you can get it on any any podcast uh, service that you listen to, or you can go to biggamehuntingpodcast.com and, and that'll take you to my my page. And, um, you know, uh, can you put a, a link to my uh, 7mm rim mag versus 300 rim mag article if people want to yeah, no, check it out in more detail? That'll go to my blog, and I got a lot of other stuff that's on there, kind of in that same vein to these. I do a ton of cartridge comparisons because people love it, and this mm-hmm. is this is one of my most popular ones. <laughs> right on, right on. Well, yeah, we'll do it again soon. We'll talk uh, solids versus ballistic tips and get into that conversation as well. All right, well, that sounds good. It was great uh, being on the show. Thanks a lot for having me today, Cable. Pleasure as always, my friend. There he goes, John McAdams of the Big Game Hunting Podcast and blog. Awesome stuff with John. And, and really, when it comes down to it, there's no right or wrong answer. Um, personal preference. Is the 300 Win Mag too much recoil for you? Well, then uh, maybe the 7 Mag is a better option. But if it was up to me, um, and I hate to say this because I love the 7 Mag, if I could only pick one, though, I, I would choose the 300 Win Mag just because of its knockdown power. And, uh, you know, what I saw what it did to my moose in Newfoundland. <laughs> and that stuck with me uh it's just flat out a stone cold killer with a lot of energy behind it um okay unfortunately 
we are we are out of time. Got to go. Got to get out of here. That segment was brought to you by Armasite and the 640 Contractor. It's brand spanking new, just released at SHOT Show this week. Henry got to check it out at the, uh, the show in Dallas two weekends ago. Uh, but it's the evolution of the Contractor series, and there's uh, more stuff coming down the pike as well. So a little bird told me. But, yeah, it's the 640 Contractor. Awesome unit. I'm loving mine. And uh, you'll love yours as well. You can find it at armorsite.com. All righty. Well, thanks again to both of our guests, Ben Pierce and John McAdams. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying y'all have a great week in the outdoors. I found her on the first warm day. Rain had washed the snow away. Gone for wood and lost her way back home. Night can believes in ghosts, but some nights I get pretty close. When the North Dakota went on.